Well, good morning and welcome to you all. Welcome to Calvary Quakertown and welcome to spring. Yesterday the weather was great and I understand today's going to be even better. And as the weeks roll by, it will get better. So if you like winter, sorry about that, but the rest of us are moving on. Well, we're in a series that we're calling The King, and we're working our way through some passages in Matthew, and the purpose is to try to correct any misconceptions we may have in our minds concerning who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because in case you haven't realized that sometimes the picture of Jesus that we have or the expectations that we have in our head are a little different than the picture and the expectations that the Bible gives This morning, we're going to look at two parables that answer the big questions of life. Now, I know for some of you, the questions may seem basic, but in the answers to the questions, you actually find the things that we need to live. Have you ever asked or have you ever been asked, how can I make it to heaven? How do I know when I check out here, I kind of check in there? What's the purpose of life? How should I spend my time? What decisions should I make? And what trajectory should I be living on? There are questions that all of us ask, and there are questions that the parables we're going to look at today actually answer. We're going to look at two parables toward the end of Matthew's gospel, and they're both parables of invitation. Jesus tells stories, and in the stories, he's inviting us to do something. He was inviting his original hearers, and he's inviting us to do something. And our goal is that you will RSVP, you'll answer the invitation appropriately this morning. The first parable is from Matthew 22, and that's the invitation to celebration. It's the invitation to a party. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 22, and you can follow along as I read The parable of the wedding banquet that begins the chapter in verse 1. So I'll read the parable, first 14 verses. You can look on your Bible, on your phone, your iPad, whatever you want. See if you can see the invitation. Jesus spoke to them again in parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. One went off to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed there was a a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now I know some of you are thinking as I read that, boy, Jesus can take a good story and all of a sudden turn it sour at the end so we don't know what in the world it's about. Well, let's think big picture. Jesus tells a parable and in the parable is an invitation 
And here's the story. There's a king. It's a parable about the kingdom. There's a king. And the king's son is getting married. So the king sends the invitation to all on the A guest list, to the recipients that would have been expected to attend. Now, you got to remember back in those days, the invitation would have gone in two parts. Yeah, we actually do some of this today. The first part would be kind of save the date. The second part would be now come and get it. They didn't have watches or clocks back then, no iPhones to tell you what time it is. So it was a save the date. They did have calendars. And then when the feast was ready, when the reception for the wedding was ready, they would send other servants say, hey, it's ready, come and get it. Well, these, this first group, they must have RSVP'd. They were coming. They must have sent back, hey, we saved the date. After all, if the king's son is getting married and you get invited, there are no other priorities. You need to be at the king's son's wedding. The RSVP'd are going to be there. But the day of the wedding arrives, everything's prepared. The king sends other servants to tell the uh, guests to come but they refuse to come. They, they won't come. Now, and the excuses are kind of lame, aren't they? One has to go to his field. One has to go to his business. It's the king's son getting married. If you get the invitation, you need to be there. There are no higher priorities. They refuse to come. Then the parable gets weird. Not just indifference on the part of the recipients, but violence. They take the king's servants that are calling to say, come and get it, and they beat them and kill them. The king then says, justice will prevail. He sends his army and then does something really strange. He says, my wedding, my son's wedding is completely prepared. Go and invite anybody you can find. The outcasts, those that you come across, you invite them to come. My son's wedding will be filled with guests. And the servants go out, they invite, and eventually the picture is the wedding banquet is filled. Now notice, Jesus begins the parable by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Well, let's see if we can trace out the characters. Who's the king then? Well, the king would be God. Who's the son whose wedding it is? That would be Jesus, the one telling the parable. Who would the first recipients be? They would be the Jews. They would be the Israelites, particularly the religious leaders that are standing and listening to Jesus teach this in the temple. And they're indifferent, and they're even violent when the invitation comes. The king then says... My son's wedding banquet will be filled to overflowing. Go and invite anybody you can find to come in. Now, that's kind of an interesting story. It's a good story, unless you're in the first group of people that refuse to come. Well, where do you think Jesus would have gotten the idea that salvation is like a party? Like, why would Jesus think being in the kingdom of God, why would Jesus think being part of his group of followers why is that like a celebration? Where would that idea come from? Actually, it would come from the Bible. Because we read in, in Isaiah chapter 25 that on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, not just Jews, for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, fine food, fine wine. There's not a vegetable on the table that's mentioned. This is a great banquet, right? Maybe that's where Jesus got the idea. 
And it isn't just this parable in Isaiah 25 that talks about salvation being a party. What's Jesus' first miracle? Actually, John calls it the first sign. Jesus shows up at the wedding in Cana. They run out of wine. And what does Jesus do? As the first sign, he creates some of the best wine the world has ever known to keep the party going. The first sign is a picture that the kingdom Jesus is bringing is a party. It's a celebration. Now, compare that with how lots of Christians you know kind of mope their way through life. You know, somehow we begin to think, I guess, the gospel is keep your nose clean, live between the lines, keep the rules, don't have any fun, don't ever smile. What? The kingdom's a party. Celebration is a a celebration of joy. It's not something we kind of slink through life and mope through life with. Our sins have been covered. We've been invited by the king to this celebration. It's full of joy, and it's a celebration. Well, What would have been the context? Well, remember, the original hearers would have contained Jewish leaders, and what would Jesus have been saying? The invitation has been sent by the prophets. The invitation has been sent by all these people, and you guys have been indifferent, even violent, to those servants that have come to invite. Make no mistake, God's going to come and raise this city to the ground. And in 70 AD, that actually happens. Jerusalem gets raised to the ground. Does that mean the the celebration's over? No, no, no. The disciples now, the apostles, are the new servants that go to invite everybody. They invite, just like Isaiah says, invite everybody from all peoples, the outcasts, those on the street corners, those in the back alleys. All of them come. God's still inviting people. God's still sending servants. In a sense, he's sending us to go and invite other people, people from all over the place, outcast and incast, everybody. Well, that raises a, a question. Why does Jesus end this parable with the guy who doesn't have the right clothes on? Now, think about this. Maybe he was found on a street corner. Maybe this is a homeless guy. And so the servants come and invite him. Well, Where's he going to get proper clothes to wear to the banquet? He probably doesn't have a home. If he has a home, he probably doesn't have a closet with really good clothes. Where would he have gotten clothes? Don't know. Jesus doesn't say. Could it be that the king provides the clothes? Could it be, it seems to make perfect sense, that since the king is inviting the outcasts, those that wouldn't have the resources to buy clothes or go get clothes of their own, the king provides the wardrobe. So kind of like come, you know, kind of shower outside, clean yourselves up, here's some clothes for you to wear, now go into the banquet. For some strange reason, this guy refuses to put the garments on that the king provides. I don't know why. We do know he is without excuse Because when the king says, what are you doing in here without wedding garments on? He is silent. He doesn't make an excuse. What are you talking about? I don't have any wedding clothes. I didn't have time to run home. He is silent. He knows he should have showered and put on the clothes that the king provided. In fact, as you look through the parable, the king provides everything for the people at the banquet. What does he say? Everything is prepared. Here's the good news. This wedding banquet for the king's son is not a restaurant where at the end you get a bill. Thank God it's not a potluck supper where you have to bring a side dish or a dessert. 
We bring nothing, not even the garments we wear. Everything is provided by the king for his son's wedding. Everything. Well, that kind of raises a question. Have you accepted that invitation to the king's celebration? As I said, the invitation has gone out and continues to go out. And my guess is, since you're seated in a church or watching online, you have either heard the invitation, you're interested in the invitation, and you're wondering about the invitation. Have you actually accepted the invitation? And according to the parable, what are you counting on to get you into the celebration? Are you counting on the side dish you're bringing? Are you counting on your great dessert? Are you counting on the garments that you live and put together? Are you counting on all the preparations that the king has made to get you into the celebration? We bring nothing. In fact, if you try to bring something in order to get you in, you're like the guy wearing his own clothes at the end rather than the garments the king provides. Have you accepted the invitation to celebration? You know, we're moving toward Easter. I can't think of a better time when maybe we need to sit and just think. God sends out the invitation. His son come and comes and purchases all we need to gain entry and remain forever. The only thing you have to bring is nothing. But sometimes nothing is the hardest thing to bring. That's the only thing that we get, get you into the banquet. Have you accepted that invitation? Second question, it brings us to another parable. This is an invitation not to celebration, but to participation. Now, you got to understand, Jesus is telling these parables, both of these are about the kingdom of heaven. A few weeks ago, and last week in Quakertown, we looked at some of those kingdom parables. Well, Jesus is continuing the parable, uh, parables of the kingdom theme but now it's a little different. And Jesus is smacking up against the expectations of his day. Remember, most people in Jesus' day were expecting the Messiah to come and in a cataclysmic event, establish the kingdom, defeat Rome, put Israel on, on thrones and rule forever. Jesus comes and says, no, 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 it's not that way. The kingdom's gonna start small, the kingdom's gonna grow. And then in uh, Matthew chapter 25, he says that we've got stuff to do between the first and second comings of the king. So if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 25. I'd like to check out the parable, which is an invitation to participation. Verse 14 of uh, Matthew 25. Again, and again means, if you look back at the first verse of 25, at that time, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, so that is the again, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. He calls his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. He gave to one five bags of gold, to another two, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. But the man who had, so also the one who had two bags, he gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I do not sow and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would at least receive it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, the parable ends like, what? Different story. Here's a master going away. Remember, they expected the kingdom to come, cataclysmic event. No, no, no. The king comes, he starts the kingdom, he inaugurates it, and then he goes away. He takes his wealth, he takes his money, and distributes, distributes. Now, if you read an older version, you read the word talent there. And the reason the translators of the newer version don't use talent, because a lot of people, you know, thought, oh, talent, like, you know, tap dancing, ballet, swimming. No, no, it's not talent like that. Talent in the New Testament um, is a sum of money. In fact, it was like the biggest sum you could say. It would be like saying um, a gazillion. That's what it was. A talent was actually 10,000 days pay. Think about that. So whatever you make in a year, divide that by the number of days in, that you worked that year. Multiply that by 10,000. That's the money we're talking. Minimum of multiple millions of dollars. So this master takes his wealth, divides that. Now, the one guy must have been really sharp because he gets like five amounts. Next guy gets two. Last guy gets one. It says according to their abilities. I don't know what that means. But he gives them different amounts based on who they are, how they're wired. You know, remember, the masters probably watched them work. The first guy goes and doubles the amount of money. I don't know how he did that. How in the world can you take millions of dollars and double it while the guy's going, I don't know. Jesus doesn't explain, but the one guy doubled it, 100% increase. This guy doubled it. The master's thrilled. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's hinted at in the parable. I don't think the master is super overjoyed that his money's been doubled. I mean, if if he's got all these millions of dollars, a few million is not going to make that much difference to him. He seems to be overjoyed because of the servant's faithfulness, because the servant was profitable. The servant put into play the resources, and the servant has grown through the process. It seems to be that what's going on. Second servant comes, and he doubled the money too. He was given less, but he doubled it too. And the master again is ecstatic. Yes, 
Well done. Enter the joy of the Lord. Enter the kingdom with thanksgiving and praise. Third servant comes and he says, I know you're a hard man. You like to harvest where you didn't plant anything. You like to gather where nothing would. I know you're a hard man. I was afraid of you. You see, the point is, the third servant really didn't know his master, did he? He really didn't know. Um, in fact, when Jesus retells the story, the implication is he does harvest where things, you know, he's the one who gives the seed, and he does expect that there'll be a return, but he's not hard. He doesn't want to be feared in that way. He wants to be loved and lifted up, feared in the positive reverential respect, not in the fear being afraid sense. Hmm. So what should we be doing? It seems like to me these two parables speak against what are often looked at as characteristics of Christians and church people in our day, right? We kind of mentioned one before. And that is lots of Christians seem uh, like they're moping through life, angry at this, upset over that, depressed over this, you know, sorry they can't do this and do that because, you know, I need to live inside the bounds God gives, but it's kind of a miserable life. And here's the other thing the second parable speaks to. So my main job as a Christian is just sit and wait for heaven, put time in, look around at the world, shake my head how terrible things are, and just sit and wait for... No, 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 this is, you got stuff to do. We need to be connecting and impacting. We need to be living in this world with the joy of the Lord in us, and we need to be living in ways that we're issuing the invitation and putting what God's given to us into play to advance what God's going to do in the world. So maybe we need a little uh, inventory test. Here's the inventory test. What have you been given? What have you been given? Look, let's be honest. You and I didn't earn anything we've got. Charles, you don't understand. I'm very disciplined. I'm very smart. Yeah. Did you, like, uh, develop your own IQ? I think that kind of came from God. Um, your network of relationships that got you the job you got, your skill, your skill in relationship, the people you know, the place you were born, all of that's been given to you. We didn't earn any of it. You didn't earn your IQ. You didn't earn your parents. You didn't earn your network of relationships. You didn't earn, in that sense, the money you've got. You've used all God's stuff to get whatever you got. So what have you been given? Let me just mention a few categories. As long as talents are money, let's start there. What, what resources, material, what money have you been given? You've been given some. How about your job, your family, your relationships, your network? What have you been given? Now, here's the next uh, question. What are you doing and what will you do with what you've been given? That's what this parable is about. This parable is about stewardship. And Jesus is using financial resources, but we could, we could expand that. 
Whatever we've been given, what are you doing with what you've been given? What have you done? What are you doing? And what will you do with what God graciously gave you? It's pretty sobering stuff, right? We are to be living in mission with Jesus, continuing what he started, being impacted and connecting with God, and then in turn impacting and connecting with others, just like this parable says. It's an invitation to participation, to take what God's given you and put it into play to advance what God's about not what you and I are about. Have you accepted the invitation to the celebration? Have you accepted the invitation to participation? Those are the big questions of life, folks. Are you a follower of Jesus headed to full entry in the kingdom? Are you living, making, any, making an investment in building your kingdom or advancing what God's doing? What have you been given? What are you doing with what he's been given? And I was reminded this week, I was watching a show, there's something about, I was flipping through the stage, this guy lives in a horrible situation, I would never choose, he wants to live off the grid, and he's working with his son, and he says, well, the truth is, nobody gets out of this thing alive. Eh, that's, that's right, nobody gets out of this thing alive. That's but when you do get out of it, it probably won't be by being alive. When you get out of it, what do you want to hear God say? You want, one day you'll be there, just like everybody else. You'll be there. What do you want to hear God say? Maybe you want to hear what two of the servants heard. Well done, good and faithful servant. He accepted the invitation. He accepted the invitation to celebration and participation. Enter the full master's happiness forever and ever. If that's where you want to end up, you need to make sure you're on the right road to get to that destination, the road of celebration. And participation is the only road that leads to that destination. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for these stories. Stories that demand we read ourselves into them, look into the parables and see which character best represents us and which character we want to have represent us. Lord, I pray that you to help us to do that hard work today, asking ourselves the questions from the stories. Have I accepted the invitation to celebration? Have I accepted and am I living out the invitation to participation? Lord, help us to answer those questions in ways that uh, honor you. Point to Jesus. Work out for the common good and for our eternal good as well. We pray in Christ's name.